This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello one, hello all. I am Ray Harkins and you are listening to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm sitting here recording this on a beautiful Monday and uh, got, got a candle lit in the studio and it's just uh, it's feeling Monday vibes as they say on the internet and what the kids say in hashtags or whatever. But anyways, that's not why you're coming here to listen to the latest social media jargon or jabber that's happening. What you are coming here for is a thoughtful and sometimes critical, sometimes funny discussion about independent music, where people have come from what it is that attracts them to it, and why they still stay involved. And that's exactly what we're doing here today. And part of this whole themed month of amazing women that are involved in independent music, that is what we're doing here. And we have Rachel Rosen on the show. And she is the guitarist for awesome, awesome hardcore bands, Indecision, Most Precious Blood, Wage of Sin. And uh, she uh, now lives in Southern California. Uh, She works in the medical industry. She's in pathology, which... I'm going to go ahead. I can't remember if we actually addressed this in the interview, but basically she was the person who committed or not committed, (laughs) performed. That's a better way of putting it, who performed a uh, biopsy on my wife's cancer. And she was able to share some information with me, just like friend to friend, nothing that was, uh, you know, breaking any uh, (laughs) any rules. But uh, she was able to share some information with me that uh, made put my mind a little bit at ease. Uh, in regards to what my wife was going through. And yeah, I'll I'll never be able to thank her enough for that. So it was just, again, one of those random music connections that uh, you never know will circle back to you and provide some unbelievable, (laughs) unbelievable information for you. But anyways, um, so that's what we're doing here. But uh, I have some, some important business I would like to share with you that, uh, well, it's not even business. These are just things that I personally believe in because, you know, the, the show does ads, the show does advertisements, but I want you, the listener, to know the only way that these things are getting on the show is because I personally back them, endorse them, think it's something that you should pay attention to, you should spend your hard-earned money on, you should spend your time on, whatever it is. So that that is a thing that I want you to know. So that that's incredibly important to me because I'm not just up here chilling for stuff that's like, oh yeah, like you'll never hear, you know, an ad about, um, you know, a beef jerky delivery box. I don't eat meat. So why would I endorse that? Or, uh, you know, some, uh, an alcohol brand that's being interested in, you know, paying a lot of money to, uh, pay to, to get your attention. I'm not doing that because I don't drink. And these are things basically, if I don't believe in, they're not getting on here. Anyways, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox, but let me get back on my soapbox because here are some things that you need to, l- to listen to and pay attention to. So Lowercase Noises, they provide the theme music for this show, and he has a new record coming out called The Swiss Illness. It's on May 19th. Unbelievable record. I've been privileged enough to work alongside of him to get this record out to the world, and I'm just incredibly excited about it. So uh, yeah, lowercasenoises.com. You can find some amazing pre-order packages, and uh, go do that because it's beautiful, beautiful music. In this day and age where it's really difficult to slow down, have a quiet moment, have some thoughtful, introspective, uh, reflective music to listen to. That's exactly what he provides, and it's uh, it's just gorgeous. I just love it. So please do that. And then on top of that too, so like I've mentioned in last week's episode, Descendants are one of my favorite bands of all time, and when they approached me to promote Everything Sucks, the re-release on Epitaph, 
I was like, oh, dude, yes, immediately. If you want me to do a whole show on why everything sucks is absolutely incredible, uh, I could do that. <laughs> but they're like, no, 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 we, we don't need to do that. But what I am offering you is so they re-released it on vinyl and it's remixed by Bill Stevenson and Jason Livermore. And it's a limited edition pressing. There's only 500 of these copies that exist. And uh, frankly, they have come to my show because they feel like you, the listener, would probably be into this. So go to kingsroadmerch.com slash 100 words. That's the number 100. And you are given access. Like this isn't just a link that is, you know, everybody can visit. Well, technically, yes, but this isn't a color of vinyl that everybody it does not have access to. So please go there and you will be able to buy the limited edition exclusive white vinyl bundle, which is only available to you, the listener. You, I'm pointing at you right now. So it's an unbelievable record. It sounds so, 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 so good. Remastered and remixed by these uh, amazing people who have been close to the band for uh, quite some time. And, you know, not only close to the band, but in the band. Okay. So please go to kingsroadmerch.com slash 100 words and you will get yourself a beautiful, beautiful piece of vinyl only available to my listeners. So there we go. And um, what else do I need to tell you about? Um, not, not, no, no other plugs, right? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. But um, yeah, so my wife is back at work. Thank you for those of you that, uh, you know, check in occasionally over email to be like, hey, just want to make sure you're doing all right. Um, we have another uh, test to go into in uh, as, as far as May is concerned. And uh, I'm, I'm nervous about it because, you know, uh, that could put us back a few steps or hopefully it'll give my wife another three months of like, Hey, I don't need to worry about that. So fingers crossed that, uh, she will continue to be, uh, you know, the, the cancer will not be residing in her system. That is what I'm hoping and praying and everything else. So keep those positive thoughts coming her direction. And I appreciate that. So, uh, back to Rachel, I, uh, went over to her house. She lives, uh, not too far from me and I've always wanted her on the show and finally was, you know, putting together this, this month worth of awesome women in music. And I was like, she is perfect for it because, uh, she's been on the ground floor for uh, a lot of amazing bands and she just has a really cool perspective about, uh, life and the fact that, you know, she was able to pursue a medical career all while all these bands were, you know, touring and going on. So it was a, a very fun conversation. And we did this in our backyard. And there are many times where you will hear her dogs wrestling in the background. And uh, there's no fighting. You know, the dogs were just wrestling and having fun. So, um, yeah, don't be uh, don't be alarmed that it's like, oh, her, her and I were just talking and completely ignoring the uh, the dogs, you know, play wrestling in the background. So, uh, yeah, I've edited some of it out for, um, you know, clarity because there's a, at one point we were like, oh, wait, hold on. Like, guys, guys, calm down, okay? Um, but anyways, thank you very much, Rachel, for having me over at your house. And, um, yeah, that's all we got. So here is my conversation with Rachel, and I will talk to you Usually I start these things off with my first kind of like entry point yes. to you, your music and everything like that. But, you know, since my entry point to both you and Tom were at the same juncture in regards to, you know, watching you guys play at Chain Reaction in front of like 10 people. Because <laughs> um, that, that was like, that was a showcase for Revelation, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, I yeah. remember it. 
who well, who was the person at Rev that was like talking to you guys? So it, it was a, Jason. It was Jason Upright. Yes. Yes. Great dude. Great dude. Yeah. And I mean, they didn't hold it against us. At right. least <laughs> we still put something out with them. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It was like, well, tech, wasn't that technically it was Crisis? I was about to say that was Rob's label, but still. Oh, but it was Jason that he was the one. Who, he was the facilitator. Yeah. And yeah. I think we were thinking it was going to be an offer for an actual album, and then they're like, "No, we only do a split with Shy." We were like, "Yeah, okay, fine." Yeah, you're like, "Well, we'll, we'll take that." <laughs> um, but then I also. <laughs> in watching you got like watching um i also taken played uh furnace fest 2000 i don't know two mm-hmm. you guys played that as well and i just remember it was um watching because i hadn't seen indecision with any of the other iterations beyond that show mm-hmm. um and so then watching you guys up there again it was like it was so interesting to see the consistency <laughs> of just like Oh, like, you know, I'd seen you, whatever, obviously, you know, three or four years prior to that, or even longer ago, longer ago than that. But it was just consistent, like in the vibe and the feel, even though both bands were, you know, they're different, but. That was sort of a strange show for us, though. The Furnace Fest? Yeah. Right. Because it was a very Christian based music festival. People from Atlanta tearing up Bibles. During our sets, I do <laughs> remember that. Us, no, no, you were not. And I mean, maybe that gave you the the overtone of just being like, "All right, we're just gonna like <laughs> get through this show." I do remember. Do you remember the bottles before Andrew WK? That crazy bottle. I don't know what you call it, but everyone yep. throwing bottles in the air for like five minutes. That was nuts. Uh, that was nuts. <laughs> I remember. I that was probably the Andrew WK set was one of the most collectively joyous things. It was fun, and I've that was seen. like that was probably. I don't know. Was that his biggest? No, it wasn't his biggest yet. As far but, as shows are concerned? No, I mean, as far as how big he got. Oh, no. I but think that was, like, just riding okay. up. Yeah. yeah. But I think he was... I mean, he was already playing cool shows, but then I think the fact that he was able to just be like, oh, my gosh, like, this is, like, what a hardcore show is like. <laughs> but the... Anyways, the the point I was trying to make was the, uh, the fact that there was, you know... You guys were essentially, you know, the same band as far as like the collective yeah. songwriting structure. But yeah, then, it didn't change too much. Right. <laughs> and I mean, I presume that like when you guys started to put together Most Precious Blood, it was basically like, you know, I, I presume it was like intentional to be like, well, we like this. So we're going to stick with this kind of style. Well, I think it was just that Justin was sort of the main writer and he writes a certain way and he just kept writing. Right. I mean, I tried to contribute a little bit more, like especially with nothing in vain, the fact that I got to play bass gave me a chance to at least contribute more than necessarily an indecision where it was like just sort of a battle with him. Right. Um, <laughs> you, could, you couldn't get in much. Edu- no, I was like, hey, can I write something? I-? <laughs> no. <laughs> and it wasn't exactly like that. It just, you know, everyone, when you come into a band that has a set person who writes everything, everyone still sort of looks to them to you know. Yeah, well, be the man. The guy who writes everything. And, you right. know, and I'm like, hey, I have a riff here and there. And it's like, Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like that that that's cute. Yeah, that's great. Okay, we're gonna go back to this now. <laughs> we'll work we'll work on your ideas uh for the the B side record. Yeah. <laughs> um so at least i I felt like that was maybe a little bit different with with most precious blood as far as just more I mean not that you know, I love Bago, but you know, his his bass playing was more just following the guitar for the most part. Right, right. And I sort of with but the way I played bass, I was trying to do something totally different from the guitar whenever I could. Right, right. So, um, so then that was maybe a little bit different. But I think at that point, at Furnace Fest, I wasn't even playing bass anymore. Right, so you weren't, yeah. <laughs> I was back on guitar again. You were back on guitar. Yeah. You, you, you were uh, playing your prerequisite instrument yes. that you'd been playing. Um, <clears throat> the, 
you know, in in <laughs> starting with Most Precious Blood, like because the the momentum was relatively quick as far as like you know you guys signing to Trust Kill. This is amazing. I've <laughs> I've usually never been assaulted by a dog. This is beautiful. Um, because <laughs> the momentum was pretty quick as far as you guys getting noticed and recognized. Yeah, it was definitely a lot quicker than with Indecision. <laughs> but I think it was just the work that we did with Indecision. I guess it was just the right time that right. when we started Most Precious Blood, like we didn't have to put as much work in it. Right. At the beginning, at least to like at least to get on shows and to get tours and stuff like that. Right. Get your foot in the door. Yeah. It was a little bit easier. <laughs> and did you uh did you feel like the um the intention like w- once you guys started to feel like there was obviously people paying attention to what you were doing was was the notion that you were going to make this into a thing, you know? Um we weren't like we were just going to do it like part-time at first because we were all well at least um, Justin and I were still sort of burnt out on touring from Indecision. Just we weren't really that interested in it. Right. And then um, I guess we just started getting offered things. And once we started doing like little things here and there, we're like, oh, like we miss touring. Let's just go on tour again. So we it just we just got roped into it again because we loved doing it then. And, and right. um, with Most Precious Blood, there was times that we were actually getting like paid for shows that we could get to the next show and get like a right. decent van and get like. <laughs> oh my gosh, we yeah. got five hundred dollars for yeah. the show! Right, right, right. <laughs> so it was sort of like okay, like this week maybe we can actually sort of live off this without having to come home and immediately go right back to work and. Right. Um, so I think that also drew us in more too. This little was a little move. <laughs> that no, was a we catch. Were, it was a catch. <laughs> wow, we're good. Yeah, maybe I'll put these uh, these cords yeah. up. Um, You're never safe with a crazy no, dog around. Not at all. Um, yeah, I, I guess. Th- I mean, it makes sense from the motivational aspect where it's just like, oh, like I guess let's chase this momentum yeah. and see where it goes. Because yeah. I mean, even with indecision, I had no intention of touring the way we did. Like when I started, like oh, I guess I can't really say that. It was, I don't know, the whole touring thing. I just sort of fell into anyway. So I just sort of when opportunities came up, I was like, okay, I'll just go do it because who knows. Like, I'm, I might not ever have this chance again, so I'm just going right. to keep going with it until I feel like it's time that I'm done with it. So, right. um, so yeah, with most precious, but we were still pretty young, and we was like, oh, let's just go do it. Yeah, again. let's just try <laughs> it. Did you, um, I mean, it sounds like the way that you're speaking about touring, did you grow to like it, or did you immediately take to it, and then, like you said, you know, once you're out there for 250 shows in a row or whatever, it's um, kind of... My very first tour that was not with Indecision or anything... I did not like it. <laughs> what did you, you not like about it? Um, well, I went to Europe for two months with a band called SFA. Oh, okay. And yeah, yeah. it was... That's a long tour. Yeah. I'd never been on tour in my life before. And to just all of a sudden be put in this situation with people you don't know that well. And to be in Europe for two months. And back then, you know, you couldn't... Like you had no contact with anyone from home. I had yeah, like you're so cut off. Yeah, you, you know, I wrote letters and had like calling cards, right? <laughs> and um, and I just I was miserable. I wanted to go home so badly. And this um, was like mid nineties, I'm guessing. Yeah, this was right. 1996. Okay, yeah. And I just started going out with Justin, other guitar player, and decision. Right. People don't know. Sure. And um, I just like really missed him, and I was like I. I don't know. It just, I felt very isolated and very, um, 
it was just I wish I could describe it was just a really awful feeling to yeah well it, especially <laughs> especially too because like you said you're not it's not like the band was family to you because you know that's usually what ends up maybe making you feel a little bit better yeah. being separate they were all a lot older than me for the most part and I mean the singer like he you know he he tried sure for the most part and there were some things that went on on that tour that were not right and <laughs> Um, little incidents that happened that really just, um, like I basically ended up quitting the band like the last day of that tour. And I was like, I can't do this anymore because people in this band, certain people in this band are crazy and I can't be around them. (laughs) I can't be put in situations like this. Yeah. And I was in some bad situations in that tour. So, (coughs) as a woman. (laughs) Which I don't normally talk about, but. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's. There, there are certain things where it's, you know, I mean, the, the notion that, you know, females playing in a, you know, completely male dominated music genre and then, you know, just being like one of the boys and stuff like yeah. that. And like, you know, that, that, that notion is fine as far as like just treating people like human beings as opposed to yeah. their actual sex. But then when it comes to the, uh, the debaucherous nature, that's when it can be like, what are you like? Yeah. Don't do that. So, um, so that, yeah, but then it was like, I think I did that tour and then the next tour I did, which I just went along with indecision on their first tour was shut down in 1996 also. It was like in the summer. Um, and that, I mean that, even though it was like, basically like we drove to Florida and stayed at, at the guitar player for shutdowns, like grandparents' house in Boca Raton or something. Yeah. It's like a a road trip. Yeah. Yeah. So we played a bunch of some shows in Florida, but that was like fun because it was, um, in that I had a good time on and then I just kept tagging along with them and until I finally joined the band. Right, right. Because um, when I was playing in Millhouse, Millhouse didn't really do any tours until I was already in Indecision. So. Sure, sure. Um, and then it just, they were always, they are always fun for the most part as long as we, you had to keep a sense of humor about things that went on. Right, whatever, a lot of, whatever situation you Yeah, were in. there's a lot of crappy things that happened. Of course. Um, but it was just the traveling part. I realized how much I like to see things and mm. this is, yeah, we're having, just playing <laughs> absolute bloodbath back here. No, just kidding. Um, that's canine's vocal practice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so I just, you know, I would always plan, like see where we were going and be like, Oh, when we're in this city, we should go see this. And when we're in, you know, let's go to the grand Canyon here. Let's go to this park. And I would sure. always, you were the, you were the planner. Yes. I was the travel agent for the band. That's good. Well, cause you, you always need one person needs to be motivated in the band to do yeah. that because otherwise, yeah, you just end up, you know, sitting in a van in a parking lot. Yeah, for, and I always was fine. I was like, we have to go see this. We have to go see that. And, right. You know, right. So did, uh, cause that sometimes that can turn against you where, you know, you motivate everybody to do something and then the thing that you do, like you may appreciate, but no one else does. I think they usually, they appreciate it. Okay. okay. They do. <laughs> I just, I, I, and it maybe, maybe I'm just, I'm internalizing this cause I did that for uh, Plymouth rock and that's like one of the uh, most uninspiring <laughs> rock. I mean, you know, I had never even been there. Dude. It's a shame. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's, it is such a tiny rock really? in a cage. And it was one of those things where it was like, you know, dr- like we were staying in Salem and mm-hmm. like dragged the guys out there and everyone was like, don't we want to fucking go right? This sucks. And then we get there and I'm like. Yeah, this does suck. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I missed you like two and a half hours. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple. Like, we one of the funny ones was um, I re- I've been dying to see Death Valley, and um, we had one day off between San Francisco and Las Vegas. 
So I was like, okay, if we all wake up at like, leave at like six in the morning from San Francisco, I think we can get to Death Valley before sundown. Right. And at least see a little bit of it. No, we got there just as the sun was going down. I got oh. everyone up super early. We get to Death Valley. It's dark. <laughs> right. And then you just see yeah. a whole lot of black. Yep. So everyone was just like, oh. So yeah. we ended up just driving to Vegas. <laughs> You're like, I was like, I'm thank, sorry. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks. <laughs> and I whole... drove the whole way, like going as fast as I was like, we can't stop anywhere. We have to right. keep going. Just a total yeah. taskmaster for like yep. eight hours. Yeah. Like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And didn't get to see it, but. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, pardon the interruption, but I have something incredibly exciting to tell you about. So, CNN, like clearly you've heard of them. Do you know they do like these 8 to 12 to 15 part documentaries on certain slices of life? This one I cannot be more excited about. This one is called Soundtracks, Songs That Define History. So like, you know, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the March on Washington, Hurricane Katrina, the aftermath of 9-11, and the Stonewall Riots. All of these things are seismic events that have shaped our lives. And this Thursday, April 20th, comes a new eight-part original series about the moments that changed the world and the songs that became the soundtracks of our time. And it's unbelievable because you know who produced this? The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Like, this dude is a talent among many talents. And the episode, or not the episode, the series is called Soundtracks, Songs That Define History. You can hear the music of the resistance, music of hope, music of unity, and the songs that are etched in our memories forever because that is why we love music so much. You listen to a particular song, it takes you back to a certain period of time in your life, all the events swirling around it, and I cannot wait to watch this show. Tune in on April 20th at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific Time, only on CNN, and you will be able to watch this eight-part miniseries. Set your DVR, stop what you're doing right now, make sure you're watching this thing. I cannot wait, and you should also join me in this, right? Yeah, because you love music, and you love history, so please, do that up. Thank you, CNN. Thank you for supporting the show. Going going back further in your life, so you, you born and raised in New Jersey. Um, yes. The you, from what I've read and know about you, your I mean your upbringing was definitely very uh, I guess typical as far as you know the family structure was concerned. You had an older sister that passed away when yeah. you were like 10, 11? Yeah. Okay. Um, and it, I mean, it, it seems like I mean that's obviously a pivotal moment in anybody's life when you lose. How much older was your sister? She was six years older than me, and okay. then I had I have another sister who is about four and a half years older okay. than me. We're, um, I'm going to presume that you were pretty tight with her, with your older sister, or was it just kind of like... It was hard because, you know, they, my two oldest ones, they were really close because I was the afterthought that was sort of like an accident. Of course. <laughs> you, know, you were, came the, you were along. the gift. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like four and a half years later after them. <laughs> sure. Um, so there was a lot, and basically... Um, from the time I was born, my my oldest sister was already sick. Okay. So um, it was always like a weird thing growing up with one sister who's you know who your parents have to constantly take care of them. Of course. And um, so I think just my entire childhood was sort of had that going on. So it yeah. wasn't even like I had like you know eight years where it was like you know normal and then something happened. It right. was just basically my whole life. Sure. So, um, but yeah, I mean. After, you know, we all handle it different ways. And I think because I was so young, my parents didn't tell me a lot what was going on. So when she was, she, they knew she was dying for like a month and oh, they wow. didn't tell me. And I was just so like, oh, like she's fine. Go feed her some ice cream, go hang out. And meanwhile, like she's like, you know, 
for one period she couldn't only remember how to curse at you so I would just go see her and it'd just wow. be like a barrage of like curses like sure. oh, I'm sorry yeah I didn't mean <laughs> yeah. to upset you um and uh, so when she finally died for me it was like a shock but everyone else sort of knew it was coming and had time to prepare I was like oh and then I didn't it was something where I just basically it happened and I sort of just tried to forget the whole thing so right. I spent a long time probably like a lot of middle school and high school pretending like I wouldn't even tell anybody about her. Really? Yeah. I would just be like, oh, I have one sister. And if someone like was happened to see a picture of her in my house, it'd be like, that's my cousin. Or, right, right. Yeah, it just people, didn't exist. Yeah, because people would be like, oh, what, what's wrong with this person? Because they were, you know, she had chemo, her hair was like messed of up course. and stuff. And so that's how I dealt with it for probably till I was about 16. And then it sort of backfired on me and because when she died when she was 16 so mm. when I hit 16 all kinds you know things can go when you have a sister who died and you're that age you deal with a lot of like guilt that like okay well now I'm this age am I gonna like make it past this age and right. I'm, uh, the guilt of um, sort of making it past that age and being healthy and everything so right like you didn't a, get to experience this so yeah. I feel guilty about yes. that so there I had a rough probably rough couple of years but that was around the time I got into hardcore also and I think that's how it all sort of happened because I started went through like a really dark period sure and that was the kind of music I would listen to I was like oh I was like this is sort of more how was it, I feel and was it it was it like when you when you say dark like this was more like you I mean because people automatically assume that because you're listening to aggressive music like you're angry so mm-hmm. like was this coming from a place of anger or just like I, I just don't want to exist on this planet it was both okay yeah I just was like I just felt like, oh, in a way, like, I didn't have a right to, like, well, she didn't get any further, so why should I? Oh, so, right. Um, so there's a lot of, like, self-destructive behavior and doing just, it was bad. Sure, sure. <laughs> but, you know, I got help eventually, and... Um, did your par- did your parents recognize that you were oh, yeah. off completely off the deep end? Yeah, they saw it. Okay. <laughs> and there was a lot, like, I was drinking a lot and, like, uh-huh. drinking, like, blatantly, like... At like I remember like getting completely wasted at like my grandmother's 80th birthday no 70th birthday party and I like passed out <sighs> for the party right at a like, family function yeah, underage so, drinking yeah. like yeah that's that's a that's clearly a cry um, for help <laughs> but and um, you know there there was a lot of other things I just I basically like didn't talk to them I would like come home from school I would go to my room right. I wouldn't come out of my room until school the next morning yeah right? yeah they would make me go eat dinner with them but I wouldn't talk to them and sure there was just. It was it was a bad time. Yeah, yeah, it's um, brutal. And then, uh, and so I with think, with like you said with mu- music that was helping you, but then also like you know, did you go to therapy? Did you go yes, to a I hospital? Did go, I go, okay. went to therapy for a long time, and also I think I started playing bass and guitar when I was like thirteen. Right. So that also sort of gave me a little focus to a try, outlet. like yeah. So I would. Um, I would write songs. I would write a lot of lyrics that were all just like the most miserable. Of course, super super depressing. Yeah, Yeah, sure. And um, so that, but it helped. Yeah. And um, I think the only, you know, once I sort of became more comfortable with the whole situation and started instead of like trying to like pretend she didn't exist, be comfortable that she existed. And you know, yes, it was a huge her death and like her whole illness was a big shaping force of who I am today. Cause if that had never happened, I could have been a completely different person because of course, um, you wouldn't have to have experienced that. Yeah. Right. But, um, 
you know, so I'm, I'm much more comfortable with it now. And the only lingering thing I had was a lot of like anxiety for a while over people, other people dying. Like sure. I would not even like, cause I mean, she died. It wasn't like a freak accident or anything, but I had really bad anxiety about, um, if someone said they were like going home and they were going to call me and they didn't call me. Right. You were like, something's yeah, wrong. I'm like, they're dead. Worst case scenario. Exactly. Right. And right. I would start hysterically crying, having panic attacks, just wow. immediately assuming the person was dead. There was like right. no in between. Right. So, um, um, so that happened. That was like an on and off situation probably up until like, I don't know, maybe like five years ago. I finally, I don't know what happened that I sort of managed you like to you finally felt like get you turned a hold. A corner. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. finally got a hold. I'm like, no, I was like, just because someone doesn't call me does not mean they're dead. Right. <laughs> like, it's okay. There's, there's probably maybe like two other reasons before yeah. that. <laughs> so yeah, that, that could start falling a little bit farther yes. down the list yeah. and you're not, yeah. I find it interesting too, just because, you know, you're, uh, I mean, your parents come from a medical background as far as their professions are concerned. Yeah. You obviously are in a medical profession yeah. as well and you, you know, you've dealt with death for most of your life in yeah. regards to not only And I your, think that was a big reason I ended up in pathology unknowingly because of her disease and then um, just... Being, I like, you know, I had watched my grandparents die when I was very uh-huh. young too, and uh, I think uh, just wanting to know more about the human body and the whole like disease process and everything, and right. just doing autopsies and being able to see exactly how everything sort of works and right. Um, yeah, I just basically immerse myself in death everywhere. Right. right. <laughs> Well, I mean, it does. It, it, it ta- I mean, it, clearly, it takes a certain disposition for somebody to be able to not only deal with something like that, like death, and being able to you know deal with cadavers and deal with like you said disease. Um, but I mean, you can in hearing you speak about it, it's you, you feel like you're you know probably arming yourself with knowledge that most people, in a general sense, don't get to equip yeah. themselves with. Which can be hard, too, when you see people around you doing things that, and you know exactly what the outcome is going to be for right, them. Right, right. And you just, like, drive I know what this is contributing. Yeah. yeah and right. I'm like, I know what's going to happen to you. I'm like, I'm sorry. I've seen it a million times. And right. this is what's going to happen if you don't change something. Sure. And I can tell you what your organ is going to look yeah, like. Right. Exactly. It's right. Like, I know what's going on in there. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, and so, like, like you mentioned, so you, you picked up bass and guitar at the same time um or did you pick guitar first it was guitar first because my oldest sister had had a a classical guitar okay and when i wanted to start playing my parents were like no like you have this guitar you can just play on that and we'll see if you stick with it or not right and i was like but i can't like this is a classical guitar yeah i want to shred it (laughs) so i played on that for a little while and then they finally let me get a bass okay and i got it because bass was really my first instrument i wanted to play bass because i loved adam clayton from so you too. Yes. Right. So, um, so and yeah. why, and I mean, for the time that you were getting into that, it makes sense because I mean, you know, you two was ostensibly and, you know, still arguably one of the biggest rock bands yeah. in the world. What drew you to like you too? Cause that's just kind of a, uh, was it um, just them being played in the radio and you were just like, yeah, I, think I, I heard it. a song and, and then I think then I started listening to more of like their old stuff and I mm-hmm. really liked the old stuff. I don't know. I don't know why. Like I never liked a band that much in my life. Right. And then just something happened. I was like obsessed with them. I had like pictures all over my wall of them. And, and, like, it's, am- and it's amazing that you were like edge Bono. No, Adam. I know. 
I'm going to go ahead he, skip over the two yeah. most visible people in the band and go for the guy that most people don't even know yeah, I think is in that, the band. I think that's why. I sure. was like, well, let me pick the obscure one. Totally. Everyone else is going to these guys. Yeah. I got that guy. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I th- I wrote him like letters. I think I sent him like, I drew like a Did picture Did you ever get a response? I always got like fan club responses. Yeah. So, sure. um, yeah, I was pretty obsessed, but and I okay. had like a whole like video collection of all like different videos, and my mom threw it all out, unfortunately. But I still oh. have a lot of like their like rare like twelve inches and stuff. Of course, of course, that I saved. Um, but yeah, so I started playing bass, and I learned like every I could play every single U two song off every album through Rattle and Hum at that's one a, point. That's impressive. <laughs> and sometimes on like a Sunday, I would start with Boy, and I would play through every album. <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. Yeah. You were just like, you know what? I got my, yeah. my whole Sunday plan. Exactly. Um, but, and then, you know, once that got too easy for me, then it was, you know, that's when I moved on to like Led Zeppelin songs. Sure, more challenging and, stuff. Yes, right. Guns and Roses. And, um, and this was all before I knew hardcore. Yeah, of course, right. So, you, you, um, you, you knew that you liked music and you were just exploring it yeah. and finding yourself. Yeah. Um, was there ever, like, did you care about school? Was there any other, uh, you know, did you play sports? Like, did you have other interests beside this? Or was this was music kind of just your guiding? Um, yeah, I was in a pretty intense school, so it was always, like, I wouldn't go, I mean, granted, I was young then, I wasn't, like, going out to do anything, but right. I would make sure, like, I would get all my homework done, like, Friday night and, like, Saturday morning, basically, so I could spend the rest of my weekend playing bass. Playing bass, right, yeah. right. You could play, th- <laughs> yeah, you didn't have time to yeah. go through all the records. So there's a right. lot of records. <laughs> um, and then, um, I did swim in school, okay. I was on the swim team, I was on the water polo team. Okay. And, um, I think at one point, I was, I did some, like, there was like a drawing journal at school that I contributed some things to. Okay. And, um, I think that was about all I was but, doing. But music then. was kind of like the guiding passion. Like the, oh, you yeah. were doing Once other I found things. it. Yeah. I mean, okay. I played piano too, cause I'd played piano since I was six. So okay. I was still playing piano. Um, but that's music too. Just it classical. is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> probably playing in recitals, I'm guessing as well. Or yeah, just, just more... once a year. Right. It right. wasn't, it was, I wasn't doing too much as far as like playing in front of people. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but my main focus was just once I started playing, it was just like practicing all the time. And... Sure. Where, I mean, you know, I, I get why people practice, especially when they're younger. Are you, cold or are you okay? No, I'm okay. perfect. All right. Sorry. That's no, okay. <laughs> um, but the, I mean, it sounds like a very, uh, you know, a, a rigorous, uh, workout that you put yourself through in regards to your instruments. Like it wasn't just like a matter of like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll you know, I'll play for half an well, hour. Cause I didn't know punk rock yet. So I thought, you know, right. <laughs> I didn't know so that you I needed just... to perfect it. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I need to know all my modes and all my scales and, okay. um, actually, and, and in high school I was in the jazz band okay. at, we had like a little jazz ensemble at my school that I was the bass player or one of the bass players for. Nice. So then I had to learn all my jazz scales and be right. able to like improvise and do like my bass solo. In there sure, and stuff. sure. <laughs> um, so there was, you know, I, and the, but it was like once I found punk rock and especially with guitar, mm-hmm. like guitar was sort of just an afterthought for me for playing. Right. Because I learned chord, I could play like power chords sort of. Right. But it wasn't until Indecision I even learned how to like palm mute properly. So <laughs> you're like, this guitar, like bass, I got down pat. Yeah. Guitar, I don't care. Yeah. I'm just going to trip into this and figure yep. it out as I go along. Yeah. Interesting that the, uh, 
yeah, just I mean, I just like the. Would you classify yourself as a perfectionist in any any capacity? I mean, it sounds like no. Okay, <laughs> but you do have. But it, I mean, you strike me as having a work ethic. Like I have yet. No, I do have a strong, pretty strong work ethic. Okay, but um, but that I don't know. It was just because I just I wanted to play bass. I was very focused on being right. a good bass player. Right, and. Um, I didn't want to be the kind of bass player that just follows along with the guitar player. And sure. I didn't want to be like a guitar player who thinks they can play bass. <coughs> How so many guitar players are like, oh, I'll, I'll just play bass. It's oh, absolutely. They're like two less so, strings. Yeah. Easy. So I didn't want to be like that either. Got it. So I just, I took it very seriously. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I could <laughs> tell. Um, and then as you started to, you know, progress through high school and, you know, started to, you know, get a hold of yourself as far as all the, uh, the dark places that you were going through, um, did you have a notion of, you know, like career and like what you want, you know, going to college and all that sort of stuff? Was that, um, um, well, when I first started school, I think I wanted to, I was like, I'm going to be in the music business. And I was like, right. going to be a music business major, which I'm so glad I didn't do. Yeah. It's like bur- burning money in a yeah. corner. <laughs> um, so I did that for like, well, first I, I ended up at UC Berkeley for a semester mm. first, um, and then I wasn't happy there, so I ended up at NYU. Okay. Um, and that's where I did music business for a year, and then I'm just like, nah, I don't want to do this. So then I transferred just into the general arts and sciences school. Okay. And I didn't really know what to do at that point. Just kind of biding your time. Yeah, but then I had to pick a major, and at the time, I was super into SimCity. Oh, it's a great name. <laughs> I was like, I think I'd really like to do urban planning. Yeah, civil engineer, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Civil engineering would have been a better choice. I think I would have liked that. Sure. But basic urban planning. Right. uh, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I ended up as an urban planning major slash architecture. Wow. Like, it was more architectural history. I never got to actually design anything. Sure. I never got to plan anything in my studies at school. Besides SimCity, of course. Right. Yeah. Great, great (laughs) cities. Probably really practical, I'm sure. So so I did that, and then um, I had taken the... At that point, I think I had joined Indecision somewhere in... Don't eat that. Hey, come on. Somewhere in college. Thanks. What is he doing? He looks like he wants that uh, avocado tree right there. Okay. So, um... So where was I? Oh, yeah. So I think I took a semester off to tour first with SFA and then came back. And I think I just had to, like, finish some random credits here and there. So I decided to take chemistry. Okay. Um, because I was like, oh, I don't think I really want to do urban planning. So sure. what am I going to do? So I um, took chemistry and really liked it. And so and then that's off. when you started to gravitate towards. Yeah, because I think in my in my high school I didn't do that well in science. So I was like, oh, I, I can't be a science major. I'm just not good at this. Right. And then realized that I just had crappy teachers. Sure, yeah, that so. definitely. That definitely. <laughs> So many times where you, especially when you reflect back on your learning, where you're just like, oh, yeah, like I probably would have liked that if I had a teacher that wasn't terrible. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> so then I ended up just stay, um, taking all the courses to get into medical school because okay. at that point I was like, I'm going to go be a medical examiner. Right. Because I always remember, too, where it's just like, I mean, you know, within the fun game of telephone and hardcore and mm-hmm. people that... Uh, it's like, oh yeah, like you know, like people in indecision are like doctors and really <laughs> smart and shit. Like, you know, I'm, granted, I'm yeah. exaggerating, but it was just always one of those things where, like, if <clears throat> you know, people in a band had some, you know, I mean, like, 18 Visions was just like, oh yeah, they're a bunch of hairstylists, yeah. like, which yes was true, but like, it's always exaggerated to yeah. you know the. Have you cut degree. my hair last week? Right there, exactly. <laughs> 
it's, but it's just so funny how like that, I mean that, that word spreads and then people, mm-hmm. I, I imagine that people probably came into conversations with you kind of preloaded where they was just like, Oh, like Rachel's yeah. probably really People sm- thought I was a coroner for a while, I think. Oh, okay. Um, and <laughs> which is fine. Sure. You're like, I'll take yeah. that. Um, but yeah, so then, uh, I, I ended up going to medical school for a couple months during mm-hmm. most precious blood. Okay. Which you can't really be in the band and go to medical school. That's it. Next uh, to impossible. Yeah. You can't live an hour from your medical school. Right. <laughs> so that I had to finally just make a choice, either like drop out mm-hmm. and keep touring or quit the band and focus on school. Right. So I'm going to drop out. Sure. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to drop out because we got to go to South Africa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, some people might question that decision that, I, you know, and it's like I worked really hard to get that far and to get in and do all that work. And then, but then ultimately I was like, I'm not going to have these chances again in life. And you know what? If I really want to go back to medical school, I can get right. It's go, it's I going can, to be there. It, yeah. Right. So yeah, that profession is not going anywhere, yeah. but my lifetime in a band like that, yeah, that that's made fleeting. not right. I got I to gotta harness that while I can. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you also did, uh, I mean, you've spoken about this in other interviews, but the, uh, you know, radio show that you did on WNYU, yes. <clears throat> that was, um, Come on, stop eating that. I'm guess I'm guessing very formative in regards to your ability to, I guess, like have some sort of influence on the people that were, you know, listening, wh- whether it's like a very small amount of people, but like, did you feel that kind of, um, I, I, this sounds very grand, but like responsibility on like, Hey, this is the stuff I'm going to play. Like, I just um, want, I want to expose these bands or is it just basically like, I, I mean were, a little bit, like, I feel like I helped indecision a little bit by like you know they they i don't think they'd played out of brooklyn all that much when by the time i met them and right you know i i started playing them a lot and then um sort of i was more part of like they were more like the brooklyn scene i didn't really go to brooklyn and i was more part of the right manhattan manhattan scene scene, yes (laughs) um and i you know through the radio show i i got it i knew a lot of people mm-hmm. so um i definitely tried to push them a lot and i think i helped a little bit right was <laughs> was it was it uh was that an exciting time for you to kind of have that that platform um or was it just or was it just fun that was another thing I fell into. It right. was just like when I when I got to NYU, I was just oh well maybe I'll go do a radio. Show. I don't know. I didn't really know what to do. So I was doing <laughs> Crucial Chaos on AM, and then when Johnny Stiff was kicked off, they were just like, okay, you're on FM. I was like, what? I was like, I've been doing this for like two months. I'm terrible, and like I was really bad. I wasn't a good DJ. Right. I mean, talking wise, I was bad, and sure. Um. So I think I you know. I, the music I thought was fine. Sure, when, right. when I played, I liked you, what I played. You, <laughs> I don't you, know if other people did. But you stumbled. You stumbled through it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> stumbled through it for about four years, and you know, would have very you know, I've, and I got to meet a lot of people through it. So I was thankful for it in that way. And we got to have so many cool bands come up and play, mm-hmm. and um, so that was always a lot of fun. Right, and always a lot of trouble for me because every band would bring way too many people. Oh, and the guard yeah. would always be like, they can only have six people up there. And then he would come up. And I remember they like sometimes bands like smoking pot up there and like yep. drinking. And like, I'm like, this is still a school. Right. Guys. Like, I'm really sorry. I remember like this band Disassociate. Um, <coughs> they 
they, and they were friends of mine and they ha- they came up and played. I was like, guys, I was like, just please do not smoke pot. Like, this right. is a school. Like, I could get kicked out of school for this. Like, just please don't. To I just remember like Ralphie and I was like staring at me like, start smoking a joint. Like, and I went in there, I had a can of air freshener and I opened the door while they're playing. I started playing, spraying air freshener all over them. Amazing. Because <laughs> I was so mad. Sure. You're like, this is yeah. what you get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember Ralphie was pretty mad at me for a while. Sure, sure. But you got, you're like, I got, I got to, I got to, I have to make it seem like I am doing everything yeah, I can yeah. to stop you from smoking, even though I told you already yeah. you should not smoke yeah. in this school. It's a school. It's in a school building where there are students and they hold classes. And right, this is like you know, this is a university. Yeah, like yeah, it's not legal in New York. Right. Let's, yeah, there's many many years away Colorado, from that. Yeah. Um, and so the um. The, the times in which you, you felt like, you know, either indecision or most precious blood, you know, had momentum and people were paying attention to you. Um, like, did you handle any of the, the, I guess, the business aspects of any of your bands? I did all of it. Okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how I ended up with it, <clears throat> why they thought that was a good idea. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was basically... Because um, you were, I mean, booking, doing like label correspondence? I didn't do the book... Well, no, okay. that... I didn't really do the booking. Okay. It was basically... I handled all the money on tour. Okay. Um, sort of... Anytime there was a problem where we got ourselves into some kind of situation, everyone was like, Rachel, what do we do? <laughs> and then, you know, I would have Justin there to sort of help, help but... Basically, it always fell on us anytime there was a situation like, "How uh-huh. do we get out of this?" And um, so you were the, you were the problem solver. Yes, that okay. the money the and like the the money business part of it, not the sure. booking, not like the the glory parts of it. Doing the interviews, I didn't do that many interviews. Right. Um, so um, I got the fun stuff. Right. <laughs> you were you were the person that was making the deposits yeah. to the bank, and you were the one that <laughs> right. was like we getting change the money and booking flights and right. Um, the yeah. t- tour manager duties in yeah. a way. Yeah, when we would get you know pulled over at borders and held, like, w- what do we do? <laughs> the sure. van would break down. How do we get out of this? <laughs> Were you or- ordering merch as well? Yeah, yes. did that. Um, sold it a lot and of did the you, times. Did you enjoy enjoy that aspect of it? <laughs> Sorry, I hope this comes out on here. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. Um, some of it, yeah, yeah. Because it gave me a certain amount of control, knowing what was going on. Sure. And, um, but then at the same time, like there were times when there was a problem where we were like in a really bad situation. I didn't want to have to be in the. I wanted to be the person who could just sort of just sit duck on away. The, yeah, sit on the sidewalk and be like, oh, okay, I'm just going to wait here until someone else figures out what we're going to do. <laughs> totally. So, I sort of miss that. I always sort of wanted to be that person. Right. Yeah. You want to be able to just be like fade into the yes. background and be like, well, I'll just be over here until you figure that out. Right. But never had that luxury. And did you, um, once, once you had moments in which you, you know, you were playing larger shows and like I said, you know, people were paying attention to what you were doing. Do you have any moments that kind of stick out in your head where it was just like, you know, it could be something as small as like, oh my gosh, like we played in front of, you know, 40 people in Omaha, Nebraska, like on our, you know, it could be something as small as that or, you know, a larger show that you've played. You know, when did, when did you kind of like have those sort of out of body moments where you're just like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like what we're doing here. Um, I would probably some of like the, the, or like, I guess when I, because there were some crazy shows with Indecision before I was in the band where I would watch and just be like, oh, I was like, I wish I was playing with them. Right. (laughs) 
So I guess some of like the early shows with them, because it was sort of my first experience being in a band that people liked. Right. <laughs> that, that people paid attention yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, right. Millhouse was all, like, you know, Millhouse, we had some shows, but Millhouse, you know, that took it was a certain... A, it's an acquired taste. It, exactly. Yes. So, I mean, I really, I liked playing in Millhouse. It was, yeah. it was fun and, you know, crazy because Artie was always, you know... Crazy? Yeah. Right. Um, but I guess that was sort of my first taste of like being in a band that, you know, people are like jumping off the stage and right. sort of going crazy to. And I was like, oh, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Right, right. <laughs> um, so I don't know, maybe like my, I mean, my first like real show with them was at the bank in New York. And I think it was like a revelation showcase. Oh, okay. Possibly, if I remember right. And um, yeah, I was like, okay. I was like, well, I'm finally up here, like playing a show with them and so yeah, that it, was, felt. it was, yeah, it was cool. Right. <laughs> and as you were doing all this and, you know, like we were joking about earlier, making questionable decisions on continuing school or dropping out and playing in a band. Um, how are your parents dealing with all of this weird stuff that you were doing? Because I'm sure that they were just like, what is, what is Rachel into? This is insane. I, guess I, so. <laughs> I thought, I thought we had this all kind of handled at one point And then now she's getting into like even weirder stuff. Yeah. yeah it's fine. Um, they handle it surprisingly well. They okay. were, they were, they've always been like really understanding. And I don't know if it comes from um, them just being so afraid of losing me in high school that it was just like, okay, you know, she's as she cares she's, about something. Yeah, right. she's happy. She's you know doing something. Um, right. You know, it's you know sort of constructive and right. And I think I think. Um, after indecision broke up, like they thought that was going to be it, sort of. They're like, okay, she has it out of her system now. But then it's like, okay, I'm like, well, now I'm going to go do this again. <laughs> and you know, I, I know that it, I think they took it hard. Like when I dropped out of medical school, I think you know they were pretty disappointed by right. that. Even though they were just like, okay, it's your decision. If that's what you want to do, it's okay. Right. Um, but I know that I think they were pretty upset over it. But but maybe didn't outwardly display it to you constantly. Yeah. No, they, like, I, I, they've just been really, really supportive. I've been lucky because, you know, (laughs) doing things that I've done where I just, you know, had all the, the opportunities in the world to, you know, have some, like, crazy, fancy job and me just constantly sort of pushing it away, being like, that's not what I want. That's not, I can't, I'm not, I don't have that kind of mindset even though I went to school with a bunch of people who were just out, like, you know, you're going to go to school, then you're going to have to go to an Ivy League college, and right. then you're going to get some, you know, million-dollar paying job, and that's, like, your route. That's the path, and, yeah. yeah. And um, I just, I could never, that was never where I wanted yeah. to be. You're like, you're like if, that, if that is eventually where I'm going to be, that's fine, but I'm not going down that path, like, right now. Yeah. Right. The, um, the... The idea, I mean, because for a while there with Most Precious Blood, like you said, you were touring and being able to, you know, make a living as far as like you would come home and you didn't have to immediately like land and, you know, work a temp job or whatever. Um, Was that, um, did that, did that take any of the, I guess, fun out of it in regards to, because, you know, anytime you start to kind of mix the, you know, art and commerce. Like there's mm-hmm. the, always that, I, yeah. that, you know, that push and pull <laughs> of like, this is cool, but then it feels like I'm like clocking in and like, did, was that just because you guys didn't really have any of that prior experience with indecision? Like, was that a weird notion when you started to get to that level? 
It definitely was. And that's sort of what started happening in the end is that we were just, we were touring because we needed to tour to make money and the tours were not doing well. And like, we were just like, what are we doing? Like, this is not, we're not having fun anymore. This is just like a business. We're just here and our hearts aren't fully into it anymore. Um, So definitely like, I mean, I, I still like, I still worked on and off but with most precious while I worked at a, a screen printing shop in New Jersey for a while Okay, that definitely like they completely would hook us up and let me print all the most precious blood merch it's perfect um, after hours so um, <laughs> so I would just you know so I would make some money here and there and I would go work there when I needed right. and um, also I was working at the medical examiner's office on and off um so they'd allow you to kind of like duck back in and out. It was more towards the beginning because it was like from I was there from 2001 to 2003. OK, so um, I pretty much left when I was supposed to be starting medical school. And at that point, we hadn't done any super long tours. I was just a college aide. So, yeah, I'd be like, I'm going to be gone for a few weeks and I'll be back. So it wasn't like they were, you know, super, like super dependent on me for anything. Right, right, right. So it was just like they would miss the person that they could give their some of their autopsies right. too. <laughs> okay, you gotta, yeah. Where's Ray? Oh man, yeah. she's gone again. That's, oh, that's a really horrible decom case. Right. Like, where's she? <laughs> yeah, the worst, the worst. That's yeah. gonna go to Rachel, and she'll 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 be able to take yeah. care of that. And did, I, I, on that same note, um, was it easy for you to, uh, I guess, kind of step into those you know really bizarre situations of you know looking at these you know these these bodies that most people would like you know throw up immediately? Like, did, was there any? Um, I mean, I always remember like my first time there when um, I was given like a tour, and I always remember walking in there into the auto- it was like in the morning, and it was like during their daily tour of like the gig they go through, and um, each person presents their case okay. for the day. And I remember these two men had been shot in a park I forget which way maybe like Riverside Park in New York and they had been sitting on a bench so they died sitting on a bench I didn't and I knew about rigor mortis and stuff oh, yeah. but I go in and the men are had their backs on the table but their legs and arms are sort of like in the air because of the position yeah, yeah. they hadn't broken the rigor yet and I look at them like oh my god yeah they're, <laughs> yeah. they're sitting yeah. but not <laughs> so I just remember walking by and being like holy shit <laughs> like right. this is crazy um and definitely, like, the first few times that, like, seeing an autopsy and, like, seeing everything up close and holding people's organs and everything, I was like, this is crazy. Right. And, um, but then it just sort of became more, like, right. I you just be. got used to it. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and I'll just, the whole, just the whole process of it was just like, okay, this, you know, as I did more and more and they let, they let me do more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized, okay, I'm fine with doing this, so this is good. Sure. Um, yeah, it just be, I mean, it becomes clinical and it becomes, rather than a human, it's, you know, essentially an object. Yeah. I mean, and not like, that sounds cold, but. Uh, you, you have you have to separate yourself to yeah. a certain extent. Not fully, because you always have to remember that, like, they, they these were people, they have, a lot of them had families who were really upset, so you always have to be respectful. Of course. And it's the same thing with, even just with through my job now just with surgical pathology you know you're just getting organs but 
at the same time, you, you still, like, you might get, like, oh, like, this breast has, like, so many tumors in it. It's such a pain. I hate it. But you have to remember, like, that was on some poor woman's body who's dealing with cancer. And right. you always have to remember there's a patient on the other end of it. That's true. Yeah. There's always a, there's a story attached yes. to every single so you, one of these you, ha- you need to disconnect a certain amount because, like, you know, all the cancer cases we see, it could drive you crazy thinking, like, oh, my God. So the like, whole world I'm, is cancer. Yeah. Yes. I could have a million cancers growing in my body right now and not even realize it. Um, right. So there's the disconnect, but you always remember that there, there is a patient there. So right, right, even right. Even though you don't see him directly. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. It's just, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, it clearly, is, I mean, everybody confronts, but, you know, so few people feel the connection to be able to, like, pursue that and then, like, land in it and be able to feel like they are still able to, like, remain a human being. And, yeah. like, because, I mean... <laughs> Some people just get like lost in that sort of, you know, that they, they either lose that human connection mm-hmm. yeah. and it's, it's just kind of, you're just going through the motions. Especially with autopsies. When you're doing autopsies daily, it can be very easy to like, you know, especially when you see like children and right. like horrible accidents and shootings and stabbings. And then all of September 11th, like seeing all that and seeing a plane crash and seeing just everything, right. you're just thinking like all, you just know like every possible way to die, what it looks like. Sure. And, um... But you still have to live your life, and you can't always be thinking you're going to die at the next, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, there's, there's no way that you can avoid the mortality that uh, is in front of you on the tables. Yeah. But then you also have to be able to, like you said, shut the door on it. Yeah, and go about your life. And, and exist, <laughs> right, and be like, okay, like, I'm going to have lunch now, yeah. and like, I'm going to do yeah. these things. All right. I want to tell you and interrupt this awesome conversation with Rachel about a podcast that I am a big fan of because I, I think that's people that listen to podcasts want to know more about other shows. And this show is, is spectacular. It's called The Future of What? Uh, it is hosted by Portia Sabin, who is the proprietor and owner uh, or president, I can't remember her title, <laughs> of Kill Rockstars, which is actually a future guest on this show uh, coming up next week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the show is a in-depth discussion with people who are involved in independent music, but more on the industry side of things. You know, these are people that uh, work at record labels that are making, um, you know, some some future-based decisions, and uh, it's a lot of awesome, awesome in-depth discussion in regards to the music industry as a whole. And some of the upcoming guests they have, it's with Open Mike Eagle, Top Shelf Records, and then a peek at how songs make it onto hit shows like Atlanta and other television placements because those that's people are just like, how does that happen? And it's like, does someone just like randomly pick songs? It's like, no, there's a methodical process that gets put into this. So um, anyways, you can find The Future of What online at killrockstars.com slash The Future of What or on your favorite podcast app. They are part of the Jabberjaw Media Network, and I love that they are a part of it. So the show's great. Check it out. Um, so I didn't, I don't know. I never, and, and I think the crowd back then, it was just, it was no big deal. Like mm-hmm. nobody ever made a really big deal about me being a girl back then. Right. At least I didn't feel like, it, like no one ever said anything to me. Really. Sure. But, but um, I guess more so from the perspective of just like I said, the attention that you were getting. I didn't get, I didn't get much, okay. that much attention back then. Maybe like on, like when we toured with like sick of it all, mm-hmm. maybe in like Europe, maybe like a little bit more. And in Europe, like, I think it was a little bit more of a bigger deal over there. So yeah, sometimes a little bit more attention over there, right. but I've always been like very shy and very like, I don't like to be in crowds. I don't like to really be in front of people. Right. So, Per, fact, perfect combo yeah. for a band. Yeah, so the fact that they ended up even being able to play in a band was sort of a big deal to be able to be comfortable. And I was very uncomfortable on stage 
during indecision. I think there was a big like if you look at me playing with indecision as opposed to like most precious blood, mm-hmm. there definitely was something that changed in me that I was just like, fuck it, I'm not going to be so self conscious. I don't care it's anymore. A sure, sure. And I'm more comfortable with myself now that, um, you know, that I'm not just going to like stand here and, and sort of like play my guitar and be like the the quiet girl on the side of the stage. Right, totally. There. Um, especially like, and that was weird with indecision because. You know, between Justin and, and Bago, especially them swinging their guitars everywhere, it was sort of more like I had to sort of stay out of the way if I didn't want to get hit by a bass. <laughs> right, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess with Most Precious Blood, it was, yeah, I got, I experienced that definitely more. And yeah. I, and it was weird, but at the same time, like Justin and I broke up in 2001 Mm. while Most Precious Blood was together. So it was sort of like, okay, well now I'm single, so you know what, if I want to, you know, I can do whatever I want now, basically. But at the same time, it's hard to do whatever you want when your ex-boyfriend is on tour with you. Totally, 50 feet away from you at any given time. So um, it was a complicated situation. And then... um, you know, so I, I can't say like I, I wasn't, you know, didn't you know, guys do shit all the time when they're in bands. Absolutely. And, you know, so I can't say that I didn't indulge in you know, oh, yeah, 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 things yeah. here and there um, when, while I was single. And sure. Um, and just like sort of being comfortable with the attention for once in my life, being like, oh, it's OK. You know, this is sort of cool. Like, because I went from being someone who in high school was like the weirdo person who had like a few friends, but it was always just like, you know, right. Hidden away. The, to, so yeah. 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 <laughs> no, no I, I know. I totally I <laughs> understand completely where you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's nice to be able to be like, Oh wow. Like that, that person like thinks I'm cool for whatever reason. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, I knew, I knew it was all because they're like, Oh, it's a girl playing guitar. Of course. Right, and, right. You know, but at the same time it was like, Playing guitar was still never the same thing as being a girl who's a singer in a band. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So um, that a, was it's always, a sliding scale. Yeah, right. that was always the biggest thing. If you played an instrument, it was always just like, oh, well, you know, that's cool. It's but, a cool vibe, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, oh, you sing for a band? Whoa, yeah. That's that's a big deal. Um, <clears throat> last thing I want to hit on was the uh, you know uh, actually kind of what we were talking about before we turn on the mics was in regards to um, you know just because you uh, live in a world of you know, medicine and people that don't have any similar life experience to you in regards to like, you know, being involved, in, involved in subculture. Um, I mean, I'm, I presume that there are, are some people that you've run across where it's mm-hmm. just like, Oh yeah. Like they're, you there's know, there's a few out there. There's right. a few hardcore, <coughs> hardcore girls actually mainly cause it's mainly girls who do my profession. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yes, I've met a couple of girls who are also into hardcore. Right. Which um, is cool. Uh, I'm so, but I'm guessing that a majority of people, you know, clearly don't have that same experience. So like no. once, once they, you know, get to know you on some level and realize like, Oh, you got you know, tattoos and like, you know, is it, is it funny for people to just be like, know you in one instance and then like get a little sliver of what you were in playing in bands and stuff like that. And just being like, yeah, it's sort of funny. Cause like at work I'll, I'll like tell stories of like being on tour and stuff. And a lot of them, they like, they don't really know, like, this, what that means yeah like what I really did and sometimes like I'll tell them oh well you know if you want to see what it's like like look up my band name like I used to be sort of shy about it and I'm like ah, I don't care because sure. sometimes like they would say like, I saw this video of you playing oh my god it was crazy like, <laughs> right, right. like I can't believe that's you <laughs> totally totally um 
But now I sort of, I think it's funny because, um, you know, I, I love telling tour stories to people who just like, they're like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, because we have so many crazy tour stories and I'll just randomly like, well, when I was here and, you know, we just saw this and this or this happened and they're like, wait, were you aware? And like, I don't, I think when I tell people that I used to tour, they think like, oh, I used to play like shows on the weekends here and there. I was like, no, I've been like. Yeah. All over the place. Right. I've traveled like, to the US yeah. like twenty seven times. Bad, you know, it's yeah. Like I've been to you know, five continents and they're like whatever. Totally. Um, well, because people so, people hear the, the the idea of tour and especially it's like if they haven't heard of your band, they think that a tour consists of like, you know, playing three shows at like local bars yeah. or whatever. It's like you're a cover band. Yeah, it's definitely hard to explain. People ask what kind of music <laughs> that we play, I'll be like, Oh well it was like it's like metal, but not exactly. Right. Because <laughs> I know they don't really... I'm going to say, oh, well, I played hardcore. They like, either think it's like techno. Exactly. Or I don't think of like porn or something. Exactly. Like, right. So they, I know that they just won't quite get it. Right. So. It's just, it's, I just always explain it where it's just like, it's like, it's, it's really loud. It's yeah. really loud and <laughs> yeah, do you like, like screaming. Yeah. It's like yeah. metal, but not a lot of solos and all screaming. There's not, right. not a lot of singing. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's melody, but not in the vocals. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny because the other day at work, because I had been telling one of my friends at work about K9ness. Sure. Um, and I was like, he's like, wait, you have a band that your dog's singing? He's like, what do you mean? And I was like, You're like, like well, well, let me play it for you. And he actually is probably the one person there who knows um, like the most, like we have not a lot of similar tastes, but he knows a lot of bands. That's so good. he understood like what the, he got, like what the style was that we were going for. That's perfect. <laughs> like, yeah, so, death, yeah. Death metal influenced dog vocals. Yeah. Cause Sweet. I was like, look, we were like, K9ness was voted number one band without people. Yeah. <laughs> like some, some, uh, some website like had put down like some top, something list and K9 is number number one band with non-human members. Oh, that's spectacular. <laughs> so it's always fun. Who did, I wonder who you beat. Um, <laughs> well, Hate Beak was second. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> and, um, I think Sisters of Mercy was in there because they had a name for their, their sequencer was oh. named, like Alice or something. Yeah. Lydia. Something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they were in there, but we beat them. That's was, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of Sisters of Mercy. Yeah. Claim um, the fame right there. Yeah. I forget who. And there was some other bands. That I was like, I don't know what this is. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last thing I wanted to ask was the, um, you know, because you, uh, I mean, you still care about hardcore and punk and you're still, you know, involved from that perspective, you know, going to shows and stuff like not actively sort of here and there. Well, uh, but I mean, <laughs> I but, don't know when shows have, I'm so out of touch with shows and like now that I'm in California, right. I don't have the same connections to like always know when a show is happening. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you still care about it. You still, you oh know, yeah, like, I still listen to it. I still, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, what, I guess what keeps you still, I guess, engaged and active at all? Because I mean, it's very, I mean, it's very easy for people to kind of shut that off where it's just like, Oh, if I'm not like doing it, you know, 24 seven that I just, you know, there's, uh, there's clearly other things to pay attention to, but you know, what keeps you engaged? Um, because I still, I mean, I still, the bands who I've loved forever, like I still love them and still want to listen to them. still want to go see them. Um, and it just, you know, it just becomes part of who you are where it's like I'm not going to all of a sudden go to like a, a Celine Dion concert right. or something. <laughs> all of a let's sudden. try. Let's try the other side. Right, yeah. right. It's just I. I don't know. It's sort of like I like the music that I like, and I'm I'm a bit narrow minded in that way. And like, whereas Derek, my boyfriend, will you know, he's very open open minded to a lot of different music. I'm sort of more like, well, I don't like that kind of thing. Like, right. I, I just, this is what I'm going to listen to, and it's just. 
I, I just don't relate with a lot of other styles of music. I mean, I listen to like sometimes like uh, dark wave and oh, sure. and a lot of like eighties pop, but more because it reminds me of my sister and growing up and all like the eighties pop bands that she loves. So right, right. That's why I listen to that a lot of times too. Um, but it's just I don't relate to other things. Like I, if I go to I don't know. I guess I haven't even been to another show that's not like a hardcore or a metal show. Right. Aside from maybe like a goth show. Sure, that's like. The, but I mean, that's still sort of similar. Yeah, it's same umbrella, realm. right? So I would, I would just, it, I don't feel like I belong there. It's like still at a hardcore show, even though I might feel old. Yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> I still feel like okay, this is. I feel comfortable. You're like it's what I know. Aside from being surrounded by people, sometimes where I'm just like, oh my right, god, right. like get me out of here. <laughs> You're like this. Um, <laughs> this is enough. Please, yeah. please back off. Right. And still the same whole like. Coming from indecision, the whole DIY mentality is still ingrained in me today. Um, where, um, I don't know, just like that that whole sense of you know, if you don't know how to do something, just learn to do it yourself. Right. I still do it to this day with making dog collars. And right, stuff. right, like, right. Just that's I can't change that mindset. Like in like when I had a house in New Jersey, just I remodeled the bathroom. I did wood flooring. Like it's just like well. I don't want to pay someone because I don't have enough money, so I'm going to learn how to do it myself. Sure, sure. <laughs> like, I'll put two and so, two together yeah. and figure this out. So just the whole hardcore DIY mindset is just ingrained in me for so long that it's sort of the only way I sort of know how to be. Right. It's the only way that you view the world. Yeah. Right. And it's just... Yeah. So that's why it's always, you know, hardcore is always... I'm never going to be like... I'm not right. I'm you know, washing my hands of it. Maybe when I'm like 60, maybe I might not be going to shows that much. Yeah, but, like, but still, yeah, you, you've spent a good enough time. Yeah, but I'll probably still be listening to it. Right, exactly. So, right. Yeah. You're just like, I'm not going to be checking out new records, but I got my yeah, old records exactly. and they're totally fine. Yeah. Well, I thank you very much, Rachel. This was, thank you. This was fun. I'm glad you enjoy it. Thank, and thank you very much for the atmosphere and the dogs. This yes. was, it was beautiful. <laughs> I hope their vocals came out. I, I think they absolutely did. There you have it. That was Rachel and so much fun, right? She was a great conversation. And uh, I, this is exactly why I love doing this show because here you have people that are, you know, deeply, deeply involved in independent music and are able to take those ideas that they've learned and uh, apply it to, you know, so many different fields of their professional and working and personal lives. Because, like, I, I so distinctly remember, I apologize that I can't remember the actual band or the lead singer that expressed this thought, but it really impacted me at a young age. I, I do remember the venue. I was at the Showcase Theater in Corona, California. And the notion of taking these ideas that we learn within, you know, the independent music scene, sometimes not even really attached to a specific philosophy. It's not saying that like, you know, hey, take straight edge and spread it to the masses or take, you know, this particular, you know, Krishna philosophy and spread it to the masses. It's just the the independent mindedness that uh, many of us learn by going to these shows and then taking it out in the real world. Like that is where actual change happens. You know, it's like that's when the rubber hits the road, so to speak. And uh, I just love that notion. And I love pulling on those threads and strings and being able to tie it all up in a pretty bow when I do these conversations. That's what I am super passionate about. That's why, I mean, we're sitting on almost five years worth of shows. Like there's no reason for me to keep doing this. Like, yeah, I make some money off of it, but at the end of the day, this is a very labor-intensive thing, but I feel so passionate about it. That is why I bring them to you. So, whew, all right, calm down, Ray. Let's 
All right, take a deep breath. But anyways, thank you very much for Rachel for having me over. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And her dogs too. Like just a, a great hang with her dogs. So um, music, as always, is provided by Lowercase Noises. Like I said, pre-order the record at lowercasenoises.com. And uh, please, CNN, come on. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. I really, really appreciate it. And please, just tune in to their amazing soundtrack, eight-part miniseries starting on this Thursday, the 20th of April at 10 p.m., no matter where you live, whether it's Pacific Standard Time, Eastern Standard Time, just tune in and do the damn thing. So, um, yeah, next week. Oh, yeah, that's right. I should tell you who's on the show, right? Because that's what I've been doing recently. And uh, actually, I talked about this person's podcast in the middle of the show. It's called uh, The Future of What? It's with uh, Portia Sabin. She is the uh, owner, president of... Kill Rockstars, the amazing record label out of the Pacific Northwest, and uh, I brought it on the show, and it was such a good conversation. Like, we could have probably talked for about two and a half hours and probably only covered, you know, maybe ten years of her life. <laughs> but anyways, that's who's on the show next week, and uh, that will be the uh, the wrap of our amazing Women in Independent Music series, and I hope that you haven't enjoyed that. A, a different voice besides uh, just a bunch of dudes talking about how awesome music is, so... Anyways, uh, that is all. And uh, please, be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.